Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I am your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is special guest Mitchell Romney. Welcome to the show, Mitchell. Hey, Lindsay. How you doing? Doing good. It's a little darker than we normally record so that we could meet up with you. You're located in Australia, right? I am. Yeah, in, uh, in Melbourne. Yeah. So welcome to the show. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. For those who aren't aware of who you are, would you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, my name's Mitchell. I'm uh, a developer slash content creator, developing by day and trying to make whatever stuff I can by night, I guess. And uh, yeah, I recently created a view tutorial, three hour view tutorial, which was a lot of fun to make. And yeah, I've been bouncing around between making some coding content this year or in the past few months, really. And then also, you know, I've been streaming coding content as well for like a year or two which has been really interesting to see. And then, yeah, I also just work as a, as it turns out, and I might be burned alive here in the middle of the podcast, but I actually work as a React developer in my day job. Um, oh, and that's, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was a Vue developer before, but yeah, the right opportunity just came in front of me and they had React, I guess. And I was just like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm up for, for anything. So currently I work with React, but deep down I prefer Vue. So maybe maybe it's not that horrible. Maybe I'm attacking the React community from the inside. <laughs> yeah, that's that's okay. At my current job, I I started by working on a full stack React application. So we're we are welcoming of all frameworks in this <laughs> podcast. Okay, good. I'll try and convince them over the next year or two to shift the entire code base to view, and I'll see how I do there. Best of luck. <laughs> <laughs> so. What brought you into programming as your career? Yeah, so so I only started programming really, what is it now? It's, it's 2022 and a half years ago, maybe cl- coming close to three years ago, really. So not that long. And yeah, I was I was originally, so so three years ago, I was 20, which which might be quite young. So I'm 23 now, in case people are wondering. And And I decided after high school, I took a couple of years off and then I went to... I decided, okay, I may as well do something. So I thought computers is is nice and stuff. I hadn't really done any programming as a teenager or even really been interested in, in IT as a career just because it seemed so, I don't know, boring or technical or something. And I'm much more of a creatively driven person. But I decided, you know, I should get something to back up my creative endeavors for the next couple of decades. So I, I decided I was going to go to university to try and do computer science um, and to because I had taken some time off high school and I was doing all these other things, I was going to take a, a sort of a short introductory certificate course to eventually end up in the computer science course in like six months or something. I forget, eight months, something like that. And that was uh, IT networking. It's where I discovered my passionate dislike of networking and and DevOps really. Don't want to touch any of that stuff. But throughout that, yeah, I, you know, there was some programming fundamentals that I started to learn there. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is nice. And I started to gravitate towards the programming side of things and less about the networking side. And then in the middle of that, I actually got a job in a sort of a startup as a support specialist, I think was the title, but, you know, tech support basically. And, you know, it was just answering phones and answering emails. And, and it was sort of small programming stuff, fixing some bugs and learning the code base in my first couple of months. And I decided I I had no interest in being tech support. So I was like, okay, because I'm already starting with the code and, and, you know, sort of it's a very small team, I would just, you know, push for more responsibilities to become a developer. And after like three or four months there, my role became tech support slash developer. And then after a few more months, ironically, it became tech, uh, it became developer slash DevOps. (laughs) And that was just because it was, it was a job opportunity that was in that company, even though I, I really don't like DevOps. And yeah, so that's where I really started to get some of my programming ability. Like I think the foundational programming stuff, you know, just trying to understand how to think about code and and just really basic stuff, you know, functions, conditions, variables, all this like entry level stuff that sort you build on no matter what language you're you're using. I learned all of that through, you know, sort of that job. But for that job, we were using languages that were sort of custom built by the, the boss. 
So it didn't allow me to go home and build something for my own. You know, I wanted to go home and start a project. Like if I had a cool idea, how do I build it? And there was a big disconnect there. And I really disliked that. So around the end of that year working for that company, I did end up leaving and going to a different company. And around that time, I also discovered by chance, I think on Reddit, someone had recommended an ebook. And I I think it's called Hello Web App or something. I'm going to have to sort of refresh my mind on that. And I'm sure we can link it in the podcast. But it was just basically an ebook that without any fluff from straight from beginning to end was just how do I build a web app using Django, right? Python and Django. And that it was like a it was like a key unlocking a door or something for me. It I had all the super foundational programming stuff, but I had no tools to actually you know, build something of my own. And once that started, like I was just constantly, I would come home from work where I would code all day, but then I'd be sitting on my couch and coding all night, uh, just building my own stuff because now I could finally really put my own creative energy into coding. And I, I really discovered a passion for how creative coding can really be. And so, yeah, everything sort of took off from then. And it was only a few months later that I was, I introduced myself to Vue. So I was building some websites using Django and I wanted to do cool stuff. I wanted to do stuff that I've seen other websites do. How do you do this sort of single page application thing? How do you, you know, have these cool different effects? And I don't know, there seemed to be a disconnect between what I've seen websites be and the front ends of some websites and what my current knowledge is with Django. So I discovered front end frameworks. And obviously, you start comparing, okay, what's better, React, Vue or Angular? And Vue just seemed like the new kid. And it seemed like everyone who wasn't using Vue, wanted to try Vue. And everyone who was using Vue was happy with it and didn't want to change. And so, you know, taking advantage of, I guess, my youth in the industry, I'm always just going for what's the newest technology, basically. I want to learn the newest stuff, the most modern stuff, cutting edge, whatever. And so I was just like, sure, let's go with, let's go with Vue. And it instantly made sense to me. And I loved it. And even moving away from like, I, I don't use Django anymore to build my, you know, personal projects, but I've never strayed from Vue. Even though I currently work in my day job as a React developer, I come home and if I'm working on a personal project, it'll all be done in Vue. So yeah, I think it was a, it was a good decision back then. And I've, I've never sort of regretted um, starting and, and continuing to work with Vue. So it's been great. Nice. Just a side tangent from Vue. You said that you had been using Django and now you are not. Is there something else that you're using for your backend now? Yeah. So so when I started using Django, you know, it's sort of an all-in-one tool. When I started using right. Vue with Django, it was like I would import the script. So I'd still be using, like it wasn't a separated front-end and back-end. Eventually I did, you know, build a, a node sort of front-end with Vue and then a Django back-end because Django is all I knew. Django is just, it felt too... I don't know. I, I guess the, the first word that comes to mind is like bloated. It, it was it has a lot, right? It's like an all-in-one sort of thing. And, and it's great as a beginner. And it's great when you're building the t- entire front and back and everything of a, of a web application using just Django. But in, at the end of it all, it just felt, yeah, like it was unnecessarily a bit heavy for what I was using it for, which was basically just, you know, a database, like an ORM. That was basically, you know, what I was using it for and then sort of an API for my front end to connect to. And so I started exploring other options, especially because I was doing, I was starting to gravitate a lot more to the front end side of things. When I started building web applications, I was just like, I want to build cool websites. And then at some point you start gravitating, I assume, towards front end or back end. And I started gravitating a lot more towards front end. And maybe Vue had a big part of that. And so I was I was doing a lot more JavaScript and eventually I started exploring, you know, TypeScript. And, and it just made sense for me, well, why don't I just build my backend using something that's a little bit, one, lighter than Django, and two, also using the same languages. So I don't have to keep sort of context switching between Python and JavaScript. Um, so, so yeah, I just started using, man, what have I used? I think most recently, a big chunk of my work, I started using TypeOrm. Before that, I was trying to use Prisma. And, uh, but when I was trying to use it, it was like February of this year, 2020. And it was like the beta had just sort of like was coming out and it was missing a lot of features. So I decided to eventually just, yeah, switch to Typeform because I needed some features of like a, a more finished application. Since then, Prisma 2 has really implemented so many features over the past like eight to 10 months or something. 
And I've actually started rebuilding a new backend for my stuff in Prisma. I have an issue, I'm sure a lot of developers do, with just constantly having... I either have too many different ideas and I'm building five different projects at once, or I'm completely rebuilding something that I've spent 100 hours working on just because of a different technology or a different direction or refactoring or all of this different stuff. So any of my personal projects aren't really available so much. But yeah, that's that's sort of where they've all gone is into this more Prisma direction. I've absolutely never experienced this need to rewrite all of my uh, <laughs> side projects in different technologies. No, never. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's something they should warn you about when you start getting into coding. Yeah. I've, I've got this one. It's, a, it's like a video game. It's very simple board game style yep. that I've, I've written in at least five different front-end frameworks <laughs> at this point. Yeah. And I just keep trying to re-implement the same game in different, different frameworks. But on the other hand, that's taking that same project that you have and experimenting in these different frameworks is a great way to learn them because you already know what the end result is going to look like and you're able to just focus on how do I solve it using this tool. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's, I mean, I've always gone in with that mentality of like all my personal projects. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not like an entrepreneur who's trying to start you know, a web app and make a bunch of money and or anything like that. You know, I go into all of these personal projects with I have a cool idea and I have a some sort of creative, you know, force that's making me want to just do cool stuff. But at the end of the day, it's all just a learning experience for me. It's a thing that, you know, has enabled me to sort of easily navigate the job market and, you know, even just switch entirely to React. I mean, I wouldn't be able to do that if I hadn't done all these personal projects in Vue or, you know, hadn't explored TypeScript by myself, I wouldn't have the current job I'm, I'm having. Um, and as we talked about before the podcast started, I'm actually having the opportunity to move to Vienna to work for the currently the company that I currently work for, you know, remotely. And, you know, that's, that's all because I just, I do stuff in my own time because I, for fun, you know, and I want to learn some stuff and with no other goal besides that. So yeah, it's, it's always been good to rewrite and learn new languages and I don't know, just have fun with it. Totally. I, I completely agree with that. And one thing you do a little different from some people is you not only experiment with these technologies, but then you share what you're doing. You said you did live streams and you've got your YouTube channel. Would you mind talking about how you got into doing either the live stream or the YouTube, whichever order you would like to go over that with? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so I've, I've, I've sort of explained how I got into the coding side of it. And now it's time to explain the content creation side of it. So this could be even longer. I'm not too sure. So, so a lot of people who follow what I do now, who are like, you know, uh, viewers of, of the sort of videos I create might know me from a while ago where I, I was actually a, a Minecraft YouTuber. That's how I mostly got into content creation. And, uh, you know, I did all of that under my gaming name of, of Sushix. And it was a lot of, it was a fun time. There was a, there was a brief period of time where I sort of, I think I felt like ashamed of it because it's, you know, <laughs> you say Minecraft YouTuber and it's just like, oh, but then since then I've sort of come to appreciate it. You know, it was, it was a lot of fun and it exposed me to a lot. And I got to meet a lot of awesome, you know, much bigger YouTubers and go to events and I kind of got some free stuff. And, you know, if anything, it just exposes you to, creating content and criticism and, you know, praise and trying to balance both of those. And, you know, ultimately coming to that big creative decision of like, is this fulfilling me, which ultimately, you know, there's a, there's a sort of expiration date on doing gaming content for me, at least like this, you can only do that for so long before you sort of get um, a little bit stuck. And so, yeah, I stopped doing that a few years ago. But I technically, I started live streaming before that, before I started that channel at the very least. And I think I was just, you know, I've always just live streamed playing games or something here and there. I haven't been super consistent. And I think that's because at the end of the day, I have no real interest in being a streamer. You know, if I, if I was passionate about being a streamer as my day job, you know, maybe I'd be doing it every single day or have some sort of schedule. But it's always been something I jump in. Maybe I'm really passionate about it for a month and then I'll jump out and disappear for four months, not the best for um, growing an audience or anything like that. But I try and just focus on what I'll, what I have the most fun with and, and what I'm most passionate about and stuff like that. So yeah, I was streaming before that gaming channel and I continued streaming on and off after that channel finished. And yeah, at some point, as you know, once I'd gotten into all of the coding stuff, I, I thought, well, why don't I just try to stream you know, me building this stuff, because I'll come home from work and I'll, I'll code for four hours or something. And that could be time 
I'm engaging with my community. And so I, I think I probably assumed it would be sort of like a, you know, a just chatting live stream, but there'd just be code in the background because I didn't assume there would be a major audience just in general, I think, for, for coding. It seemed maybe too, I don't know, too niche or something. You know, there wouldn't be a lot of people interested in it. Or even if you did like code, maybe I wouldn't be entertaining enough for you to watch me code. Like, I don't know. It was, it just didn't seem like a, a thing. And the second I started doing it, it was really weird. Immediately, there was way more people watching me code than there was watching me play games. And I think I, I think I realized this. I mean, there's just not that many. There's a million people playing games. And there's just not that many people streaming themselves trying to code. And people really want to learn and see how other people build code. I think because code can be such a personalized thing as well. You know, they want to see how you do it and why you do it and how they can make their code better and how they can get a job through watching you. And, you know, it's it's this life skill instead of this little hobby. So it's, yeah, it took me by surprise. And yeah, I went from like streaming to like 10 viewers or something playing a game to streaming to 50 to 80 viewers coding. And it was a big surprise. And so I thought, maybe I can just do this. Like, maybe I should lean into what is succeeding, in a sense, what people want to see. But I was always held back by the idea of like, I don't know that I want to be in it's, I think it's silly, it's it's maybe naive, but I didn't want to be just a coding person, like just a coding guy, I wanted to, you know, do a bunch of different stuff. And, and so I sort of shied away from it a little bit. And then, yeah, eventually this year, I actually created three videos. So the three videos on my coding channel, The Earth is Square, the first three videos were actually released on my personal channel first a while ago. And um, and then I decided, okay, I can't do coding tutorials, but then also personal, nearly even comedy style videos on my personal channel. I can't have that all in the same space because it's just going to confuse people. So I removed those coding oriented videos and put them on this new channel. And I kept my personal channel for other things. And and then I left it. I honestly just like wasn't thinking twice about it. And then one of my videos on on that coding channel just naturally just started to get views. Um, and it wasn't a whole lot, you know, it's a channel with zero subscribers and zero views. So it wasn't crazy, but it was like, you know, a couple hundred views on a video that I had forgotten about. And I was like, okay, it seems like, I don't know, the universe is trying to just tell me like this, this coding thing will work if you just try, like if you just put some effort into it. So I decided, yeah, okay, sure. I would make a view tutorial series because that's what I feel the most comfortable with. And I think there is probably a hole in, you know, in sort of the space for, you know, view tutorials. There's a lot of React resources and not a whole lot of view resources, at least in comparison in my mind. So yeah, I was like, okay, let's do a I think I was like, yeah, let's do a Vue 3 tutorial because it wasn't fully out, but the beta was out and, you know, there was enough there for me to do a tutorial and focus on stuff like the composition API. So it was originally going to be a multi-episode series and you can actually see that still on the channel. There's the first episode. It's been renamed now to make more sense, but, you know, the the video that's there is like Vue setup tutorial or something, but it's it was recorded and uploaded originally with the intention of being episode one here's how you get set up with your project and then episode two, you know, and, and so on. But then after I released it, I realized immediately people started commenting, where's the next episode? I want to learn more like da da da. This is good, but where's the rest of it? And I was just like, wait a minute, why did I release either release all the episodes all at once or release it as one long video? And I looked at what had worked, you know, search results for YouTube and stuff in the past and YouTube in general seems to like really long videos. And I just figured, you know, people have had their own opinions about it since I've released the video, but I figured I would honestly probably rather just keep it one tab open and work on it, you know, work on this view tutorial throughout a week, you know, just getting to it when I have time instead of opening 10, 15 different videos in a playlist. It just made sense to me, just keep it all in the one video. And so, yeah, I just sat down one weekend. I already had the script already, basically. And, you know, script, like just dot points of what I'm going to cover. And yeah, recorded it in one, I think maybe five hour, four to five hour sitting. I had no idea how long it was going to be. It just turned out to be very, you know, neatly about three hours, which is which is a good sort of, you know, name. it becomes the name of the video nearly like three hour tutorial. Wasn't really planned to be, you know, three hours nearly exact. But yeah, I um, released it and almost immediately it started doing really well. And it was 
sort of quite validating in a sense that like, okay, cool, I spent all of this time on this video and people are starting to actually enjoy it. And you always worry that you missed something or you didn't explain it well or something like that. But no, since then, the reception has been quite positive. I'm, I'm really grateful. And uh, yeah, now it's just onto what tutorials I can plan next, I guess. Sure. I, I also appreciate that it's a three-hour tutorial for View 3. I felt like that was very, very perfect. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, you know, uh, as, I, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, like I, I like to focus on the newer technologies. If, if, if there's a new version of something, I want to update immediately. If there's a new technology, I want to try it immediately. And so I, I didn't see the point. There's, there are other View 2 tutorials out there. You know, and if I was a beginner and I wanted to learn View right now and I searched View Tutorial, there's, you know, view tutorial, three hours, five hours, whatever, but it's two years ago. And I don't know about other people, but if I see two years ago, I'm like, well, there's probably some stuff that's outdated or some stuff that's changed. I mean, front-end technologies are changing constantly. And so, you know, if I saw something view three and it was released a week ago, I'd be much more inclined to click that even if I only had, you know, a hundred views. So that was, that was my thinking there. And there's no point in me trying to teach stuff that's already been taught and that's, you know, outdated when there's something new that people want to learn. So yeah, yeah. definitely view three all the way. And and I completely agree with the, uh, you're, you're more likely to get clicks on something that's newer than older because the older thing might be out of date. I, unrelated to view, I was having to do some, some research at work on building mobile applications. And as I was trying to do you know, my, my research, I kept finding videos that were three years old, four years old. And <laughs> yeah, mo yeah. Mobile development moves just as fast as web front end, it feels like. So all the, all the framework discussion was talking about technologies that, I mean, they're still around, but it's evolved tremendously at this point. Yeah, definitely. If you're going to put all that effort into, like as a beginner learning, you know, something new, you want to learn something that's relevant to today, not relevant to two years ago. Because uh, yep. you don't want to have to do catch-up work after you've done this tutorial to learn stuff that's you know um, happened in the past couple of years. So yeah, always be on the lookout for the for the new stuff. I'd say. So so what was it like putting out that that three-hour tutorial? I see at this point you've got forty-one thousand views, which is definitely substantial. I I don't think I've ever put out a video that has that many <laughs> that many views. <laughs> what what was it uh, like to to get that attention on this course? Yeah, I mean, due to, you know, my, I guess my, my old Minecraft days, having, uh, you know, some subscribers and some views, I'd, I'd gotten really spoiled in that sense. And so I feel like some of the joy of, of having certain amount of views or something, I, I need to constantly remind myself of like, oh, this is actually quite good. Also, because I'm, I'm someone who I struggle to celebrate my stuff too quickly, like I'll, I'll release it and then look at all the bad stuff. And I think that's the thing most creators as well are, are doing is you only see the one bad comment and not the 20 good ones but yeah it, it was a it was a surprise the the reception i guess it's a sort of thing like you release it you're like i'm pretty proud of what i've done it's three hours long i hope youtube just like runs with it i mean at the end of the day it's it's youtube's decision it's the algorithm's decision whether or not forty thousand people are going to watch it or 40 people are going to watch it and, I, you know, I'd like to say it's a really good video. So that's why it's doing well. But honestly, it's probably just luck. And, you know, or at least the, you know, the beginning of it is luck. And then because it's not horrible, people watch it and enjoy it. And so YouTube's like, okay, I'm just going to continue recommending this because it seems to be working. So yeah, for the reception has been great. I think that I have always appreciated more than that for, I mean, it could have a hundred thousand views and I'd still mostly be appreciating the comments. That's the thing where like the next, I wake up one day and, and, you know, I wake up the next day and I can just look at the comments that have come in over the past 24 hours. And it's, it's sort of like, okay, cool. Like that time I spent putting together the tutorial and recording it and <laughs> editing a three hour video. Like it's, it was all worth it. Like it's really helped people. You know, that's, that's mainly why I do this coding stuff. I, prefer to be entertaining in some way. And that's ultimately in the creative space where I want to end up is, is you know, making people sort of laugh or at least smile and, and making people happy. But if I can help people, you know, through my coding experience, like that's also a big plus for me. So it's less about the 40,000 views and more about the, the comments I get with, with people who are just like, this really helps me get into view or this, you know, I, someone emailed me actually, a week ago and took the time to write an email to me to just say this filled in the gaps in my in my view knowledge i 
knew some stuff or, you know, I, I experimented with a few frameworks and whatnot, but um, your tutorial really helps me out. And yeah, that stuff is, is always the stuff I appreciate most. Have you thought about learning to do native iOS development? Are you using Swift at work? Or maybe you've considered writing applications for macOS. We have a podcast that covers all of that called iFreaks. We have a new panel and a lot of exciting things to talk about. So come check us out at ifreakshow.com. Yeah, and I, I did go through some of the tutorial. I was jumping around a little bit. I really enjoyed the the presentation that you had for it. I also like that it's, I mean, yes, it's it's building something that everyone is is probably familiar with. I mean, your your focus was building a Twitter clone using Vue 3. Which <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I loved the name, by the way, building building Twatter, I believe it was, right? Yes, 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 Twatter, yeah. And the and tweets were tweets. I, yep. I mean, just and that goes back to what you were saying: is being entertaining at the same time as as providing this great resource for people to learn how to improve their own programming. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think there's there's a weird misconception. I think especially from people outside of the developer community that all developers are a certain like type or have a certain level of social skills, and I think that scares other people away from. If I want to be a developer, I have to be very just technical and heads down. And, you know, I'm not as good as this senior person that I've seen who just code their entire life. And it's like, you you don't really have to be, you. I mean, you can just be anyone who just happens to also code along with whatever else you're doing. And so I've really tried to just, you know, in this video and in a few other stuff, uh, personal projects and whatnot I've done and in future stuff I plan on doing, like it's, it's really about just like, yes, I, you know, the core of it is I'm going to teach you this thing, or I want to help you in some way. I want to make sure that core of it is, is content, is really stuff that you can latch onto and pull away from and, you know, go build your own project or go get a job even. But it should be surrounded with some personality, with some jokes, with, well, like, why not? Like, make it as fun as possible. Coding can be really fun. It doesn't just have to be this technical, algorithmic, I don't know, computer science whatever. And especially on the front end, I think maybe I'm biased because, you know, on front end, I feel like I get to be a bit more creative than back end stuff. But yeah, I mean, make coding your own. It, the, it, beginners think that there's just a set way to do things, I think. And you can just do whatever you want, like take any different direction. There's new technologies coming out every year. People who have 10 years of experience have no idea what came out, you know, this year, you know, or don't have experience with the new stuff. So go get experience with the new stuff that you find fun and then teach the senior people how to use this new technology and make it your own and have fun with it. So, so yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And I, I, I will second that there's all different types of programmers. I mean, just at, at my current position, we have developers that are very into fishing and outdoors stuff. Yeah. Don't really work on side projects. We've got developers that are into side projects. We've got, there's all, there's all kinds of developers. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Definitely, I agree. Don't don't stress about being the perfect programmer. There is there is <laughs> yeah. no perfect programmer. The per, the perfect programmer is somebody who can write a hello world. I guess I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just about getting something done. And someone who's really technically minded might be able to get that thing done in the most efficient way the first or second time. But they also may miss out on user experience, like thinking about the user experience or thinking about how can I take this in a different direction or be more creative in this sense or at, you know what I mean? Like coding can be whatever you, it's, it's all just building blocks. It's Lego, right? And so someone may be able to build the best Lego building, but you can add your own flair to that, that a business or your own startup or something may really flourish to take advantage of. So, so there's, there's, everyone has their own advantages as a coder, as long as you can just write the, the basic code to get something to work. Make the rest of it, you know, your own and and own your approach to things, I'd say. That's perfect. Thank you. So what's what's next for your channel? What are you what are you gonna be focusing on next? Yeah. So the big request, surprisingly, and I don't know, I think I mean, I guess it's because I have released one video on this previously, which is Django. And I mentioned how I, I started learning coding through Django. Surprisingly, a lot I've had a lot of the most recommended thing on the view tutorial was a Django tutorial. And so that's I actually sort of planned long form Django tutorial before the view one. And this was last year, maybe a year ago when I planned it. And it eventually didn't become anything. I, I pretty much fully did it 
fully scripted the entire thing out or, or planned what each chapter would be and stuff like that. And then uh, I think it just fell between the cracks. So recently I've, I picked that back up. I'm just going to go over the entire script again when I can, when I find the time and then find a good weekend to sit down and, and record it. So yeah, Django is, is my next thing. Otherwise, you know, I could go any direction. I feel a bit too busy right now, which is a really big problem. And I also just because of how I work, I guess, like I pull myself in five different directions, which is something I need to get better at. So, you know, I wish I could release a new tutorial every week or, or you know, stream every weekend or something like that. But at the moment, I just have to go go with what I have time to do. And so I only really have what's on the horizon, which is a Django tutorial, hopefully in the next month. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I'll say for myself, I'd be interested in learning that. I've been wanting to get into Python and Django a little bit more. Do you have any interest in moving to a paid platform of some sort, either your own or trying to use something like Udemy or egghead.io or any of any of those for yeah, any um, future courses? Yeah, it's definitely, look, I think it would be lying to say, like, I wouldn't have thought of that stuff. I mean, I think anyone who's a developer, you know, especially if you start teaching stuff, you go, well, I see this person charging $200 for this course that I've released for free or something like that. I, how much money could I be making? Yada, yada. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I feel quite fortunate that I am in this industry. I, you know, I enjoy it as long as it's the right. I mean, I'm sure there are sort of coding jobs that I would dislike or I'd feel too boxed in or something. But for the most part, I've really been able to enjoy it. And, and luckily, the industry pays, you know, really well. I don't think that's a, you know, not that I get paid a crazy amount now, but the, the possibilities for, for programming are, are quite high in terms of pay and um, even external opportunities and stuff like that. So I guess I personally, it's, it's, it's more of like a, I don't know, it's, it's a personal value of mine. I'd prefer to just keep everything free. I, I've always been someone who doesn't really care about money. And that sounds like a really entitled thing to say, but I feel like it, it's come from the opposite. Like I didn't really have that much money growing up at all. And I moved out of home super quickly. Like when I was, the second I turned 18, I moved out of home. And I've since then, so for the past like five years, I've pretty much lived quite close to paycheck to paycheck. Once I started getting into IT, I could start putting some money aside, but I'd mostly be putting that money aside to then go on a three-week holiday or something to to Korea or Japan, um, which is what I've done. So I mostly just see money as a as a way to enable me to do things today. And as long as I'm able to pay, pay my rent and live my life and pursue the creative things I want to pursue now, like that's all money is to me at the moment. And so if it's a choice between helping 40,000 people learn Vue and you know completely for free and not having to add this paywall for them to gain this knowledge or something, or me making, I don't know how many thousands of dollars or something from some sort of equivalent. I'd rather just help all these people for free. I mean, I don't need the money. I, you know, Not that I'm rich or anything, but I can live, that's it. So yeah, I, I, I have no intentions to not continue to release everything for free for the foreseeable future. And if I release something paid, like, I don't know, if it, you know, not to say that that's impossible that I'd ever do something that's paid, but I'd, I'd want there to be good reason for it. And I think I'd want it to be advanced level stuff. You know, I think all beginner stuff should probably be very easy to, to get into for everyone. So yeah, that's, that's my goal is to keep everything free for the time being. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I can also see that tying back into the, the uh, open source mindset, right? That everything is, available to us as far as view itself is free. I mean, Evan, you put in a lot of time and granted he's, he's also getting a lot of support for that through various contributions, but the, in the end, the framework is free. Anyone can use it. So it makes sense to an extent that learning materials to figure out how to use these tools could also be free. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think, yeah, I mean, a lot of people in this sort of industry are sort of just I want to make cool stuff, you know, whether it's, you know, someone like me, who's like, I want to make cool content for people, or it's someone like Evan, who's just like, I want to create awesome tools for people to create the awesome websites and to do all of that sort of stuff. Like, we've just got a lot of, I think that there, there are a fair amount of just selfless, creative people in this industry, which is, which is really good. I mean, we, it allows for so much more growth. I mean, imagine a world where most of the technologies we're using are I don't know, subscription-based and limited to a small pool of people who can afford it. And I don't know, we, we would just be way behind in you know growth and new technologies and all of this sort of stuff. So it really enables a much better 
I mean, ecosystem for everyone involved. You know, at the end of the day, Evan's not struggling to make money, I'm sure. And and his project is now this thing that's enabled a ton of developers to find jobs or create really cool stuff. And it drives, you know, new frameworks to come out and try and beat Vue if Vue's winning in certain areas. And yeah, competition is good. And, and you know, there's, everyone knows there's more than enough money in the IT industry for, for, you know, it's not like people are starving while they create this open source stuff. Like, I'm, you know, most people still have day jobs where they do all right. So yeah, it's, 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 everyone's really supportive, which is great. Yeah, one of one of my favorite parts about this section of our our industry in IT is how we all are able to share our views and share our knowledge so that everyone is able to grow together. I mean, that we can see that, I mean, just with us talking on this podcast and all the other yeah. podcasts that others may listen to, but also the the different frameworks that exist. I mean, there's React and Vue and Angular and Svelte and who knows what's going to come out next. I'm sure 2021 has something prepared for us. Yeah, there'll be three more frameworks in the next year or two, so... <laughs> at least. Yeah, at but, least. But it's great because everyone is working on these these problems in a way that is... These problems are solved for everybody we're, and we're able to learn from each other. So, in, I mean, just looking at Vue. Vue learned a lot from React and Angular. React then learned things from Vue and Angular and then Vue learned other things from React and it just keeps going. And, yeah, and that's great. That that's that's one of my favorite parts about this industry is that it's a it's never boring. B we're all still learning together. Nobody has all the answers. So I love it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something that you know. If, if I didn't already drive that home with some of the stuff I said earlier, like if you're a beginner and and you're trying to get into view, you're listening to this view view podcast because you want to sort of get into the ecosystem and what people are talking about. Like there is no perfect way to code. There is no I mean, I, I I don't know if I made that super clear with my with my history, but I never actually ended up getting anything, getting a degree or anything from university. I completely self-taught myself and just worked through a few jobs and and you know, and now there's this opportunity for me and I have some skills and like you can take any path you want to to enter, you know, this sort of field and as long as you enjoy it. I think the one thing that'll hold people back is if you just don't enjoy coding and you're doing it because someone told you to do it, you might struggle a bit in that sense. But if you enjoy it, then there's a million opportunities to learn. There's free resources everywhere. And people who've been doing this for 20 years might not have the knowledge that you can learn in two months because you know, you're learning new stuff. Everything is changing and there's so many new resources just popping up every day. So just go in the direction that feels the most fun for you and, and keep, yeah, keep having fun with it and focusing on learning and pushing yourself and you'll end up with a bunch of opportunities and, and surprise yourself, I'd say. I completely agree. Thank you for saying that. We're getting close to our time here. I, I wanted to touch one more thing. You obviously you made a course on Vue 3. I'd like to get your opinion on how you feel Vue 3, just, just your general impression of it compared to both Vue 2 as well as React, since you're using React in your day-to-day job. Yeah, I mean, okay, so the first thing is is just the general, you know, Vue 3 is still quite similar to Vue 2 in, in terms of how it sort of all functions. Um, you don't have to completely relearn Vue to, to use Vue 3. So comparing Vue in general to React, even though I'm doing it in my day job, and, and honestly, I'd say my current work and their React code base is the most, I guess, clean you know, code I've seen, it's, there's a, it's the most code I've seen in a, you know, I've mostly worked in smaller startups and this place is, is 20 to 50 people, you know, I mean, the front end teams only a, a small handful of people, but you know, it's, it's quite nice. And seeing how, you know, they've chosen to use React, as far as I'm aware, there is a few different ways you can use React. It's less opinionated than Vue is, I think. But I've, Vue just has always made so much more sense to me. I don't know what that is, but Vue has just, the stuff I, I have to learn, you know, at my day job to do in React that in view, and maybe it's just because I'm not able to notice that, oh, because I already know view, it's really simple to me now, but it wasn't simple to me when I started learning or something like that. But yeah, view just seems way more straightforward and, and intuitive, right? Like if I want to do something, it seems somewhat more straightforward than it has so far for me in React. So while I haven't noticed that React or Vue can necessarily do anything the other framework can't, in terms of developer enjoyment, 
I've always and, and continue to still prefer Vue's experience over over building something with React. It just seems to make a lot more sense to me. And maybe other people have different experiences. Maybe that's just a very personalized thing. And, and so both serve their purpose and, you know, you just choose whichever one works best for you. And that's, you know, sort of the the greatness of, of these different frameworks is you can really just pick whichever works best for you. So that's always good. And then the difference between Vue 2 and Vue 3 I think fortunately for me, like there hasn't been too much of a difference. I've started to take advantage of the composition API. I don't think I've been able to take advantage of it fully. I've started to just use it, but I feel like I need to do, there is more research to be made and more resources to be created around how to best utilize the composition API and different techniques you can sort of do. You know, the composition API allows a lot more freedom. You know, it's the main thing that it allows you to do is just like write it however you want to write it for the most part. And so I, I feel like I haven't taken full advantage of that. But uh, I've been trying to take advantage of, of, of what new features I can. I did also create a video on what's new in Vue 3, which just personally enabled me to really sort of nail down in my own mind what are all the new things that I should be trying to take advantage of. Stuff like teleport is something, you know, that's that's really interesting that I think before I made that video, I hadn't really thought too much of, that it's actually really straightforward. Uh, other stuff that I think is experimental right now, that using the setup attribute on the style tag uh, in your components, so you don't actually have to write, you know, or create a setup function and return all the things. You can just export within your script tags straight onto the template has been something I've been trying to use just because it seems interesting. Like I just try and do cool stuff and I just try and, you know, oh, there's something I don't know or that seems intimidating. I just jump straight into it and see what I can do. So yeah, Vue 3 so far has just added a bunch of extra features. And so far, I haven't necessarily lost anything. I think the only thing that feels underdeveloped so far is, I think, unless it's changed in the past week or two, I can't access my Vuex store from the new Vue 3 dev tools. I think that's something that I was frustrated with. But besides that very specific case, yeah, it feels exactly the same as Vue 2. It's probably faster from, from all the benchmarks I've seen. I haven't personally noticed a crazy difference, but I wasn't noticing a lag as it was. So not much of an issue there. And then, yeah, all these new features that I'm just trying to utilize. I think over the next year, people will really start to delve into those new features and share with everyone, you know, as we were talking about before, with with how how much sharing between the community there is, best ways to use the technology. So I think right now it's still very new, and people are just, you know, running with it and trying their best. But uh, over the next year, I think it'll really define itself, and and yeah, you'll you'll be able to to use all these tools to their fullest extent. I feel that's awesome. Thank you. At my current job, we're unfortunately forced to support Internet Explorer eleven. Oh god! I, I don't believe U three supports IE because of its new features with how really? it's doing reactivity. Yeah, so okay. that's the, that's the only downside I'm I'm experiencing personally. So we can't upgrade our our project to Vue three yet. I believe the core team said there's going to be some sort of workaround of some sort because it, it's a feature that just doesn't exist in IE that they're now using for reactivity. Yeah, uh, yeah. so there's going to be some some sort of backwards compatibility that you can opt into, but it's not available yet as a part of U3, so we're, we're just stuck. Yeah, and, I think at some point, people just need to start, or people will start to just accept that, you know, the the whole landscape of front-end is moving way too fast for, for you to continue to try and keep up with Internet Explorer. Like, Internet yeah. Explorer is pretty much done, and yeah, if you want to really keep up with everyone else, it, we, we may need to move on a little bit. So I, I feel sorry, sorry that you have to deal with that. That sucks. Yeah, hopefully it'll... Like like you're saying, hopefully we'll be able to move past it soon. For for me personally, I've been fighting against IE since 2005, 2006 on various <laughs> projects. Yep. So I am gleefully awaiting its demise. Let's put yep. it that way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, awesome, Mitchell. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been great talking to you. No, thank you, Lindsay. It was, it was, uh, it was a fun time. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. So let's move on to picks. Picks are the part of the show where we share things that we like with the community. It doesn't have to be programming related. Sometimes it is. In my case today, it is. 
I got an email the other day from the state of JS. And for those who aren't aware, there's this survey that goes out. I don't know what their various sources are. I see it on Twitter. And it's just state of the JavaScript ecosystem. And they ask a whole bunch of different questions, like which, which features of JavaScript are you using? Which frameworks are you using? Which languages are you using? Like TypeScript, PureScript, things like that. Which podcasts you listen to? So A, I highly recommend uh, filling it out because it's great to have this information as a community so that we can see where everything stands as best as possible. And the more people that fill it out, the better the data is. Also, from a selfish position, please enter this <laughs> on view. Uh, <laughs> last year, I think we got 1.3% of respondents having listened to views on view. Let's try and get that to 2% this year. No, I'm, I'm not worried. But <laughs> I would appreciate yeah, it awesome. personally if you can uh, if you can fill it out. So in the show notes, I'm putting in a, a link to the State of JS 2020 questions issue on GitHub. The creator is asking for people's feedback to make sure that the questions are correct and up to date for the uh, landscape of 2020. So if yeah, you... it's awesome. I've I've always loved seeing the you know all of the information that comes out of that. Actually, the state of JS. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of it. I've done it for the last couple of years. I know they've gotten some flack in the past for their methodology, and I think a lot of that's been improved over the years. So also, yeah, if it's good. still available, the I'll I'll do my second pick: the state of CSS, which is a similar thing by the same people, just for CSS instead of JavaScript. And so they're asking about various CSS features and various preprocessors or frameworks like Bootstrap or Tailwind. So another great survey to fill out. You can also mention views on view there, of course, <laughs> in the podcast section. So those are my two picks. Do you have a pick for us today, Mitchell? I uh, I do actually. It's it's um it's not really programming related at all, except for me, it a little bit is. And and I guess I'll explain that a little bit, but. Yeah, my, my pick is uh, is actually a podcast called How to Fail with uh, with Elizabeth Day. And uh, I found this earlier in the year. Um, I, I think it was March. And um, I was actually in Japan right before coronavirus forced me to come home early. And just the topic of the podcast itself is something that's really something I've, I've struggled with a lot, especially in the past year or two, which is, you know, I think everyone goes through it, especially people who are you know, sort of focused on creating things, you know, that's what that's what brings them joy and stuff. So, you know, a lot of creating things is learning how to deal with failing. And the thing I really like about the podcast is is Elizabeth Day, the, the host, she pretty much talks to a bunch of successful people. And, and then they just talk about the successful people's failures, the entire podcast, which is really good to hear because, you know, especially today in 2020, you've got you know, Instagram and, and all these social medias and just everyone flaunting how successful they are and how much stuff they have and whatnot. And I think it's really refreshing nowadays to to hear people talk about, you know, what's not going right, you know, and what's um what where they're failing. Cause that can help you feel as as a quote unquote normal person for us to feel like we're we're not, you know, failures as, you know, that's not who we are as a person. We've just happened to fail the same way that every single uh, successful person has. And I think you'll you'll also find that the successful people fail more. That's likely why they're successful. So it encourages me to not only be comfortable with my past failures, but to sort of look forward to, to future failures as well, which I think is always important. And even with encoding, like if you like go for that job interview that you don't think you're... Actually, quick story. I don't know if we have time. But just quick story on the failing thing. My current job, I was not qualified for at all. I, I said it was a React job. I had zero React experience whatsoever. And, you know, I just sort of went for it. They approached me on a platform that, you know, connected developers with um, employers. And they're like, here's a senior, it was actually a senior TypeScript job. And I also had no professional TypeScript experience, only personal project TypeScript experience. And uh, I, I just replied to them. I'm like, hey, thanks for reaching out. I would love to still sit down with you. But just up front, I don't have any React experience. And I've only worked with TypeScript personally, not professionally. And uh, they were like, oh, cool. Well, you have some other you know, niche experience. It's a social media sort of driven platform. So my YouTube experience was interesting to them. But he was like, if you feel like this might be a waste of time, like, we don't have to do it. That's okay. And I'm like, no, no, no. Let's let's just have a talk anyway. Let's let's see how I don't know. Let's just have fun with it and have a quick chat. And here I am, months later, working for them and relocating to Vienna to go 
to go, you know, work for work in the office uh, later, uh, early next year. So yeah, don't, don't be afraid to fail and just put yourself out there because you have really no idea what's going to happen. And um, yeah, so that's, that's my long winded explanation. Go check out the how to fail podcast with Elizabeth day and uh, be more comfortable failing. Awesome. I'm I'm going to listen to that podcast. I think I heard about it earlier this year. I meant to check it out. So I'm definitely going to do that. Thanks. No worries. So Mitchell, how can people reach out to you if they want to continue this conversation? We've, we've given links in our show notes for the YouTube channel. Is there any other uh, social media that people can talk to you on? I do. I do have social media, you know, mostly Twitter and uh, Instagram. Not that I'm, I'm, I'm not someone who's super frequent on social media. Unfortunately, it's something I, I do want to get better at, but uh, I don't spend a lot of my days scrolling Facebook and Instagram and stuff, which I think is a positive thing. But when you're trying yeah, to I'd be say that's for of, the best. Yeah. Yeah. When you're trying to be a bit of an online personality, I guess is what I, I was what I like to do. I probably do need to be putting more effort into releasing stuff on social media. But you can generally find me on both Twitter and Instagram. I think easily it's it's the same handle, which is just underscore Mitchell Romney. I believe that's my Twitter. That's definitely my no that I think that's my both. And I also have a Discord channel for the Earth is Square, which is my YouTube coding brand stuff. And that Discord channel now has about 150 people and we're all just sort of developers. Most of them have come from that V3 tutorial. So if you want to talk to me on a, on a much more, you know, personal level, um, I'll talk to a bunch of other developers. I also have a, you know, sort of a, a developer oriented Discord channel where we can all hang out and stuff. And then, yeah, I also have a personal YouTube channel as well, which is not coding related and uh, might be very different than than what you want or expect. So up for you guys to, to check that one out as well. Great. Thank you. I hope you all have enjoyed this episode today. I know I have. This has been a great discussion. Thank you again, Mitchell. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for uh, having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, of course. And you're always welcome to come back whenever you would uh, like. <laughs> awesome. I'll, I'll start taking over. The next eight weeks of podcast is just me. <laughs> so everyone, everyone get ready. <laughs> We're going to do a series. Um, <laughs> so I, I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Views on View. And if you'd like to hear more about us, you can find us at viewsonview.com or at devchat.tv. You can also find us on Twitter at viewsonview. You can find myself on Twitter at yagabush. Hope you had a great time today. We'll see you again next week. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.